Uh, Bitcoin okay. is is not a stock. Uh, Bitcoin <laughs> is is what's called a cryptocurrency. And okay. the the real way to to make this make sense is like a dollar or a quarter, like other forms of currencies. You can use that to buy and sell things. I can send that to people. There's a form of payment that can also grow in value. But like on a high level. Bitcoin is it's can be an investment, but it's really a currency. A stock is really ownership, and I can't just you know pay for things with stock in and of itself. And now you're listening to the Sugar Free Podcast. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea? You know it's sugar free. How you like your tea? Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me. It's where you wanna be. Wanna be. Let's get it sugar free. Yeah. Tell me, girl. Me, girl. How you like your tea? How you like your tea? You know it's sugar free. Hey friends, how you doing? How you feeling? How you living? Do you know what today is? It's Monday. (laughs) Um, So of course that means it's time for another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast with me, the hostess with the mostest, your homegirl in your head, Sid Mac. So you know what else today is? It is the penultimate episode of season two of the Sugar Free Podcast. Can you believe it? We are almost through another season of the show, another season of life, and just like a fine wine, we and the show are only getting better with time. Ain't we friends? Yes, we are, okay? (laughs) You better believe it. All right, we've been drinking our water. We've been hitting the gym four to six days a week. We've been minding our business. Let me repeat that again. We've been minding our business. We have left these trash jobs and leveled up to these new fabulous jobs that reward us in coin appreciation and paid time off. (laughs) Okay, we have left these relationships that are no longer serving us in search of high value partners that support us spiritually emotionally and financially yes i said financially because we deserve a little financial help too okay i know that's right we are writing our own rules when it comes to relationships and children we are using coupons and discounts to save some coin. We're getting our wills and trusts in order. We are like really just adulting at its finest, okay? And today we are talking with our fave financial planner to make sure we get our investments up for the 99 and the 2000s, okay? So before we get into this episode, I feel like I owe y'all an update. And of course, a good juicy little secret. Okay. (laughs) 
So the Sugar Free Podcast is all about having real honest conversations about navigating life together. And I'm here to tell y'all friends that I'm no expert and I certainly don't have it all together. And many of the topics that we discuss in the show are topics that I struggle with myself. I decide what we're going to talk about really based on what I'm struggling with because I figure that if I'm struggling with it, someone else out there is probably struggling with it as well and could probably use some help. So my approach to it is let's talk about it. And so one of the areas that I have been very transparent about struggling with on the show is getting my finances together. Okay. (laughs) And part of the reason getting my finances together has been so difficult over the years is because it's really hard to save $1 when you only have two, right? I quite frankly just have not made a ton of money in my career. I have been working my butt off, but the fruits just ain't been fruiting. Okay, until recently, I'm getting it together. So y'all know it's tax season. We did our episode on taxes. And so I sat down with my accountant and we were reviewing my tax returns from 2020 and 2021. And y'all, I did not even realize this, but in 2020, the tax return revealed that even with all the STEMIs in the world, all of that, I only made $63,000 in 2020. (gasps) Gas. You know, I mean, I knew that I wasn't making a lot, but I didn't realize (laughs) that I was making so little, especially considering I'm an attorney with five years experience. And I was teaching at two universities at the time, part time, but still teaching at two universities at the time, part time. And I was still only making $63,000. I was poor. Oh my gosh. But look, I am so happy to share that after leaving my job in 2022, getting promoted from part-time to full-time last year, I'm now making 40% more, right? So there really is something to that leave your job, make more mentality. And there's also something to being patient and steadfast on your journey. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's it can be difficult sometimes, too, because I don't know if I shared that. Like, I don't really know if I knew it enough to share. But I had really gotten the reputation of being like the raggedy one in my family. So I'm the youngest sibling. And I'll give you all an example. So I share a phone plan with my siblings and my mom. And so every month, my mom would always get on me. She'd be like, girl, why you always pay your bill at 11.59 p.m. on the due date? You're not about to be messing up my credit because you can't pay your stuff on time. I'm like, look, 11.59 p.m. on the due date is on time. But nobody could understand why I was always so late leaving it to the last minute to pay my bills. And the reality, the honesty was like, look, I needed to hold on to my coin until the very last minute just to make sure I was going to be good. Okay, right? I just need to make sure. You know how you just going to hold on to it just in case you got to shift some things around. So I just was going to hold on to it, right? And I never not paid my bill and I never not paid on time. I just was always the last one in line. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It was just because your girl was broke. (laughs) You know? And so over the years, I had just developed the reputation of being the youngest and oh, sis, always going to be raggedy. And it really wasn't about being raggedy, right? Like, it was just that I was broke. And so... 
I would always be the one chipping in the least at family dinners for family vacations. Mm, I might have went on a couple of free family vacations. I know. And, you know, joint presents for parents. I would always chip in the the least, maybe $5. (laughs) And for all these years, my siblings, my family, they just thought I was raggedy. And just being the youngest, right? And I would just, I would ride that. Like, yeah, I'm just being the youngest. But the reality was I was broke, fam. (laughs) That was the reality. And so this year, I've been paying my bills first. I've been contributing an equal share to the joint family gifts. And they like, who this? New said, who this? And I'm like, look, I wasn't intentionally trying to be raggedy i just knew that i could lean on y'all for support and so i did (laughs) for 30 years (laughs) so anyways the moral of the story is y'all that i'm getting older and at 32 i'm finally leveling up on my coin i have an investment account i have a retirement account i have a savings account i'm paying my bills on time i'm contributing in equal shares to the family presence I am a whole adult, but I just want y'all to know that these are relatively new developments for me. And so I say all of this to say that if you're in your 30s and you ain't there yet, you're not behind. You're not a failure. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I'm here to encourage you, to tell you to keep going. Wherever you're trying to go, you'll get there. 30 is not some magical number where everything just snaps into place. I wish it was, but it ain't. And so keep going, friends. You'll get there. All right. All right. Well, let's get into this episode. The final episode in our Making Money Moves series, Stocks, Crypto, and Coins, featuring a very special guest. So to give us the 411 on investing, I have invited back to the tea party one of my Fade gifts and our resident financial advisor, award-winning investment professional, best-selling author, and our homeboy in our heads, Mr. Kevin Matthews. Kevin, welcome, welcome, welcome. Help, help me welcome him, friends. Clap for him, clap for him, clap for him. <laughs> Kevin, welcome to the Sugar Free Podcast. Tell the good people who you are and what you do. My name is Kevin Matthews II. I'm a top 100 financial advisor and award-winning investing content creator. I graduated from Hampton University in 2012, my degree in economics and a master's in entrepreneurship. Yes, that was so much better. Can we all give Kevin a hand? (laughs) Look, y'all remember Kevin from last season and we had to get his introduction together because he tried to give us, you know, the little skimpy version and we don't do skimpy here we we need robust we need full we need full bodied so thank you for giving us the full body introduction today without prompting (laughs) no problem thank you I got on the first the first try so perfect yes and I'm so glad to have you back so if you guys remember last season Kevin came through and he talked to us just broad strokes overview about saving and investing for the future and so after that episode I realized how many holes I actually had in my saving and financial education (laughs) 
<laughs> so we had to bring Kevin back so he could fill in those holes. So today we're going super granular, super basic, because in 2022, we're going to be serious about getting our coins together and actually saving. So we need the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts, all the tools and resources so that we can actually start saving and investing this year. You ready, Kevin? I'm ready. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So I want to start out by just level setting. This has kind of become a staple of the show. Um, and people know that I'm going to get us started with some good definitions and a framework for the conversation. So what is a stock? Like just let's start real low level basic. What is a stock? Yeah, a, a stock is a portion of ownership in a corporation. So think of it like when you buy a house, you buy a car, you get a title. Well, that, that title represents ownership. Well, a stock is the same thing, but on a corporate level. So Amazon, Walmart, what have you, when I buy a stock, I am a very, very small owner of that company. And what that stock represents is that ownership. So I am an owner of the company. I actually get to vote on things and you don't get a bunch of votes. <laughs> so it's, it's, you don't get to really, you know, walk up in there like you own the place, even though you do, um, but it gives you ownership and is a representation of that ownership. The better that company does, the more valuable those shares become. Okay. You know, I got to ask a follow-up question. So when you Go talk ahead. about voting stock, now there are different classes of stock, yes or no, right? And so yes. not every person who owns a share of, let's say, Amazon will have voting rights, yes or no? They won't have the same type of voting rights. So okay. in the case of, of like a Google, the people who work there, the CEO, the founders, they may have two, you know, two votes for every one share. Whereas regular people like me, I might get one vote for every share. Um, that's definitely more in the weeds. In either case, I can make money. So that's that's the most important part of it for, for us. Um, but yes, in some cases, voting rights can be different depending on the company. Interesting. Okay, another follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about stocks, is every single percentage of the company accounted for with a measure of stock? Or can a company, let's say, for example, allot 50% of its ownership interest to stocks and then like some other person can own like the entirety of the remainder of the 50%? Or in order to gain any percentage of ownership in the business, you have to be invested in a stock? Once the company becomes public, that is true. So when we say public, that means that this, this entire company, its value is now represented in the stock ownership. The person or people who own the most are considered like the owners. So the person who owns the most Tesla in the world, the most shares of Tesla is Elon Musk. That's who owns the company, right? Now, I also own just a tiny share or two, <laughs> but I, I too am an owner, but just really, 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 really small. Um, so Don't yes. be shamed. You still an owner. <laughs> oh, I am. I am. <laughs> I, I ain't got enough to buy one, though. No. <laughs> but I'm still an owner. <laughs> so, so okay. Another question. So, let's say a stock, go, uh, a company goes public, mm -hmm. and they are now offering shares to the public. If mm -hmm. I'm, let's say, Elon Musk, do I have a first option to buy those stocks, or is he scrambling like everyone else to buy those initial shares? That's a great question. He gets the pre-IPO price. So when you have a company, right, you get to decide what the value of your company is before it goes public. 
And essentially, without getting into the entire IPO process, you get with the Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan's of the world. And they say, here's how much your company is worth. I say, look, I'm Elon Musk. I own 51%. And that he gets those shares really, really early. By the time it gets to people like you and me, that the shares of, of that, the value of those shares are already exploded. So the minute it goes public, that's where you, you hear these people become instant billionaires because take the case of, of Peter Thiel of um, PayPal when he founded PayPal, he got shares of PayPal at like 71 cents because he was an owner and he could say however much he wanted his shares to be worth. And when it hit the markets and I think PayPal is, I don't know, two or $300 today, you can see how crazy that profit is from 71 cents to like two or $300. Um, so beforehand, they don't have to scramble. They, they own the company. They do whatever they want. Once it becomes public, we have to scramble, but they're already set up. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Yes and no. So <laughs> in terms of my profit, no, it ain't fair. Um, in, in terms of like, I wasn't the one shooting in the gym. So I didn't build the car. I didn't put up the money to build the factory. I didn't do none of that. So, okay. you know. You know, you, you, you put in the work to build this company. So, you know, maybe you get a better price than I do. I'm, I ain't do nothing. So, True, but so aren't some they already ways, yes. getting like potentially a salary, a share of the profits? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like, aren't they already benefiting on some level from being a founder in the company, like on a financial level? Um, yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're, they're getting, they're getting outsized benefits better than, than what, any regular person would get. Um, so that is absolutely true. I think what's most unfair is like, hey, the company is falling. I'm gonna give you a bonus to quit. And like, where does that happen? Right. Um, but in terms of the, the stock ownership itself in that particular company, they do get a lot of preferential ownership and options. Even if you're an employee, sometimes you, you get preferential pricing where it's like, look, you get to buy these stocks for 10% off, right? You get to get a discount. And if the stock goes up, you are really benefiting from that as well. So anybody who works at a company prior to an IPO or even as a current employee, they're usually getting the best prices before people like me and you. Hmm. So you should definitely invest. If, if your company's healthy, investing in your company as an employee is a good first place to start. Definitely. Yes. And keyword, if your company is healthy, that is, um, that is a very, very good leg up if the company is healthy. Right. I'm sure there were some pretty, <sighs> now I'm even going to go into that. I just watched a documentary on WeWork. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, so now we kind of know what a stock is, how you can how it works with the other stocks and, and how you can go about getting it. So what is the stock market? And my biggest question is, what is the difference between the Dow and the S&P 500? Yeah, yeah. I said that right, right? Yeah, you said it right. <laughs> okay. um, sure. So it's just like you would walk into like a flea market or I don't know, the Walmart Supercenter. The stock market is a place for you to go and buy and sell different stocks. Today, this is all digital. Thank God. You used to actually have to go to Wall Street or at least call someone and that call will be routed to someone in Wall Street to buy and, and sell those shares on your behalf. All this is digital now, but that is basically what the stock market is, a place for you to trade, a place for you to buy and sell different companies. 
The Dow Jones is one of the most popular, what we call indices or index, if you want to make that singular. And what that is, it just tells us how well the how well the stock market is doing. The Dow Jones only tracks 30 of the largest companies. So it ain't everybody. It's just really the most popular. So we don't, when we say the market, that's what most people think about. It's, you know, the Home Depots of the world, the Apples, all the companies you know of, they're usually in the Dow, but that's only 30. The S&P 500 is a better indicator of how well the entire stock market is doing because that is the largest 500 companies. So when we say the market is doing well, we're usually talking about the S&P 500 that has, yes, the Apples, the Home Depots, but also has Lowe's, McDonald's, Microsoft, and every other company that you probably know of as well. The difference between the two, just the 30 largest compared to the 500 largest. Gotcha. So it's kind of like credit scores for stocks. You can kind of gauge how yeah. well they're doing. Yeah. The, the Dow Jones and S&P 500. That's yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> if I want to see like if somebody asks me, well, how's the market doing today? I'm gonna look at the S&P 500 like eh, it's up or no, it's down. When I say the market is up close to 30 percent, I'm really looking at the S&P 500 and it says as a whole, the stock market is up about 30 percent. Not every single company, but as a whole, yes, the market is up or yes, the market is down. Gotcha. And I, I, in my mind, it triggered that analogy because like for the difference between Experian and TransUnion, for example, mm -hmm. like they're both mm -hmm. measuring essentially the same thing, but your credit might be look a little different on TransUnion than it does on Experian for whatever reason, but they're essentially set up for the same purpose to, exactly. to, to measure your credit worthiness. So that's how we can, I guess, kind of think of the Dow and S&P 500. They're essentially doing the same thing. Yep, they basically are. One is just, you know, more comprehensive than another. So if I'm going to buy a stock and I'm in the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. Am I buying and trading in the Dow and or the S&P 500? Is that what it is that like, do they actually sell the stocks and they kind of hold them or are they just the... I guess the, the measurers, the, the, the keepers of the information, or are they actually the ones doling out the stock and like you get two, you get three, like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the word you're looking for is exchange. So when we talk about the Dow <laughs> and the S and P 500. Those are just, those are like the credit scores, right? They're not the banks. They're not the people loaning you the money. Experience is just, Hey, I just, I count the money, right? I just, I give you a score. That's all I'm doing. So that's what an index does. That's the Dow Jones. That's the S&P 500. They just tell you, hey, this is what's going on in the market. Where you actually buy and sell, that's where we talk about the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Those are the two biggest ones that we have in the United States. So when someone says, I'm going public on the New York Stock Exchange, that means, yes, you're there. I can buy and sell on whatever app I want to. When you turn on TV or CNBC, you see people like ringing the bell and making a big you know, fuss about, oh, we're public now. It's because they're publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Once you're on something like that or on an exchange, that means it's going to show up on my app. I can buy and sell. And if your company is big enough, then you'll get added to the S&P 500 or you get added to the Dow Jones where they start to count you in with those figures that they put out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Fun fact. So my sister got to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange this year. Um, nice. Yeah. You know, she's a little mini celebrity. Don't tell her I told y'all that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, for Women's Golf Day, she got to go and ring the bell and 
you know, the whole thing. It was pretty cool. Yeah, like that's he's, he's for real celebrity because everybody <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So so back to this conversation. Like I, my followers already know that math is not my strong suit. So my head is swimming and I'm struggling to try to keep up. Like hopefully I'm doing good. <laughs> But okay, so you have the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Do Mm -hmm. both have the same companies listed and available for purchasing or buying and selling stock? Or does one cover one set of companies and the other another, kind of like the Dow and the S&P 500? Those, Those are separate. So the NASDAQ is usually to list the tech companies. That's not always the case. It's just usually where they want to go. And then the New York Stock Exchange usually will list almost everything else. Um, it's really a matter of preference. Some people like some of the other, some over others. As an investor, it doesn't matter if it's a good company. I really don't know or care if Apple's on the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. If both of them are mainstream, right? It's like, if you have a movie, do you want it on Netflix or Disney Plus? Those are both good. What I don't want it is on something like, I don't know, Voodoo or some some app you've never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's, you know, I don't care which one, as long as it's mainstream, it's not like, you know, super pertinent information. Like Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, like, it would be like Blockbuster. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's not a, it ain't mainstream. I don't know if that's a reliable company there. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay, okay. So the question I think that everybody has is Bitcoin a stock? No, uh, Bitcoin okay. is is not a stock. Uh, Bitcoin <laughs> is is what's called a cryptocurrency, and okay. the the real way to to make this make sense is like a dollar or a quarter, like other forms of currencies. You can use that to buy and sell things. I can send that to people. There's a form of payment that can also grow in value, but like you can't go into Walmart and say I'm gonna buy this with Pepsi stock. They're going to look at you crazy. Um, so Bitcoin, <laughs> in some places, I can I can buy stuff with Bitcoin if they you know have the capability to take that. So that's that's one of the biggest differences. Uh, a lot of the, the tech people will tell you there are thousands of more differences. And there are, but like on a high level, Bitcoin is it can be an investment, but it's really a currency. I can use it to buy and sell things. I can transfer it to people back and forth. A stock is really ownership. And I can't just you know, pay, pay for things with stock in and of itself. Okay. That makes sense. But I know so many people who are invested in Bitcoin and are Mm -hmm. leveraging Bitcoin as a primary investment strategy. And so if it is just a form of currency, how are they leveraging Bitcoin in order to make a profit Number one. Mm-hmm. And then number two, if they are doing this, which I'm guessing they are, because people say that they are, mm-hmm. can you do that with other forms of currency, like the dollar or I don't know, gold or like well, is it possible? <laughs> so so yes, and I'm glad you actually brought up gold because most people immediately see Bitcoin as digital gold. And just like gold. I mean, it's while it's not easy, I could take a bar of gold. I don't know where you find these things, but you could take a bar of gold and take it to the bank and say, I want, you know, a thousand dollars for every gold bar, whatever the exchange rate is. And that's kind of what, what Bitcoin is. I can use it. Now it's hard to do, right? You can walk into the gas station, here's some gold, let me get some gas. Um, it's hard to do. Same thing with Bitcoin. Like some people take Bitcoin, some don't. 
Um, so it's very similar in that manner. But just like gold and silver, those prices do fluctuate. If you have ever went to a pawn shop or even like a jewelry store and tried to buy gold on certain days, sometimes it's more expensive, sometimes it's less expensive. And Bitcoin works in a very similar fashion in that mm-hmm. if I buy it, maybe it goes up. Sometimes it goes up pretty high. And some days it doesn't for, for whatever reason. And the same thing is, is similar with gold and silver. So that sounds to me more like commodities trading, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you're um, betting on the fact that or the volatility of the price of that particular thing and hoping that you buy it, you accumulate a lot of that commodity when it's low and you sell it when it's high. Yep. Right? Yep. Right? For, yeah, that's, that's basically it. <laughs> And for for people who may not know what commodities are, those are things that cannot be differentiated. I was going to go back. Don't try to change. I was going to go backwards. (laughs) I was, I heard a new word. So I was trying to define it. Go ahead. Break it down for the people. Yeah. So, so commodities are things that that cannot be different differentiated. So like if I gave you a, a gallon of oil and then somebody else has a gallon of oil, you don't know the difference. They the same right to, to you. Um, but, uh, you know, stocks are different. Like Pepsi is is different than shares of Walmart. Target and Walmart are different if you walk into them or if you own the shares. They, they are completely different. You can tell the difference between the two. Um, so that's, you know, Bitcoin, every Bitcoin is basically the same. Uh, and there is no huge differences between the two, unlike stocks where things are very, very specialized to that particular company. Gotcha. Now, I don't want the people out there to think that I've been like duping them on my financial and and math knowledge. I'm still not great at math or finance. However, I dated this guy once whose best friend owned like chickens, like standard poultry. And like these are things that I had never heard about, like people being invested in livestock. And so that's how I had learned about it. And he was like, yeah, like they're, they're like millionaires from chickens. (laughs) <laughs> like like literally from just some as basic as chickens and they own cows and trees and he was like oh trees are the biggest um power play ever and I I had never really thought about that but that's basically how their business worked it was like they buying chickens low and selling them high <laughs> yeah it- <laughs> It's it's on the, the deeper end of finance, but it's out there. <laughs> so like they, they call those and I do not at all recommend these for, for new investors. Like I, I didn't even have, my millionaire clients didn't even deal with that that spectrum. Like that is deep, deep end stuff. However, and they're also farmers. So yeah, well, well they call they call these futures contracts where they will trade a contract and say, look, I want to buy chickens at this price in the future. So if price of chickens go really high. I already locked in my price. I get it for cheap. And a company like Southwest Airlines did this successfully for years where they would buy contracts on, on oil in the future. And when oil prices shot up, Southwest actually got oil for super, super cheap. They made their flights cheap. They made a bunch of money. And the story goes on from there. So yeah, people do it on, on beef and chicken and lumber, which is basically trees and a bunch of other stuff that you never need to know in life. But people... <laughs> The finance industry gets real creative on what they can make money off of. And so that's kind of how Bitcoin fits into that same kind of framework mm-hmm. of, of investing. Okay, that's interesting. So so th- I think that that is a good kind of analogy for people, especially for me, because that kind of makes it real for me. Because Bitcoin mm-hmm. is this real abstract 
concept, I think, for a lot of people, because it's not something that will ever be tangible. And the point of it is that it won't ever be tangible. It's always going to be this digital currency. But because it's not tied to something I can hold in my hand, right? Like, even though most of us never go whip out another crinkled up dollar ever, right? Like, <laughs> never... <laughs> probably go jingle jangle some change in our hands ever again we've had the experience of doing so like I know that the one dollar on my card is the same as this one dollar in my pocket if I ever had it and I know that 25 like we have some kind of tangible measures that we can compare the dollars in our bank account to I think that's what makes cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is such a difficult thing to understand for most people is because there's not really anything tangible for us to tie it to. So thinking about it like that goat bar or that one chicken, at least for me, makes it a little bit more tangible and understanding what it is and how you can differentiate it from a stock. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because and it's relatively new, like it's going to take time for people to, to really kind of grasp it. And it is difficult to grasp, to be honest with you. But the other thing is, it's what you're going to hear this all the time. If you ever dive into cryptocurrency Twitter, which I really don't recommend, they are crazy, <laughs> but it's, it's decentralized. So unlike a dollar or unlike the stock market, you have some government body that regulates that stuff, right? There's, right. you've got, you know, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission that says, these are the rules of the market. It opens at this time. It closes at this time. This is legal. This is illegal. It ain't that in Bitcoin. There is no, no government telling you what you can and can't do with Bitcoin. It's open range and it is what it is. And that's just going to be the end of it. Um, so there are different risks, but that's like the, the big thing is that I can send you money and via Bitcoin and it's completely untraceable and you can do whatever you want with that Bitcoin. Unlike, you know, if I were to take a, a wire transfer or just a Zelle transfer or cash app, it's traceable. In some cases, it could be taxable. Like there are a bunch of things really tied to it that is not the case with Bitcoin, which is another reason why people think it's, you know, the future of finance because it's, you can do so many things with it at all times. Listen, y'all, y'all watch Queen of the South. <laughs> I have not seen that one yet. <laughs> Queen of the South is my show and she had all her drug money tied up in Bitcoin. And now I know why. Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this seems like it would be ripe for some illegal activity and people. And now I understand why she had all her coin up in Bitcoin. So so out there, if you're wondering, you know, what is a good investment strategy for you? I guess what is a good investment strategy may be directly correlated to how public you want your finances to be. <laughs> <laughs> basically but even like in, in 2021 in the summer when they had that like the some pipeline had got hacked they were like oh y'all gonna pay us in bitcoin because once y'all send that payment you will never find me again um so like that was that was one of the reasons as to why they chose bitcoin as opposed to like drop this check off at this address like they were not gonna do that <laughs> Oh, this seems so interesting. Not that I'm interested in getting involved in any like, you know, illegal dealings. But, you know, I, maybe if I have a husband one day and I want him knowing what's going on with my business, and I, you know, get some Bitcoin. <laughs> Stop. Commercial time. Hey, friends. So do y'all remember how we decided together that 2022 would be our year? Our year to be selfish? The year that we start finally taking the steps necessary to get our financial lives together. Y'all remember that? 
Well, I decided to get my financial life together by opening up my first investment account and investing in a stock market. Now, all I have to do is actually learn how to invest. <laughs> and I hope you'll join me. My good friend and season one guest, top 100 financial advisor and founder of Building Bread, Kevin Matthews has put together an easy to understand, easy to follow set of resources for newbie investors just like us called the Investor's Toolkit. The Investor's Toolkit is a seven module course designed to guide us step-by-step step through our stock market investing journey. We need this, friends. Well, if you're ready to stop talking about it and be about it, click the link in my show notes to access the Building Bread Investor's Toolkit. And if you use the link in the notes, you'll also get a special sugar-free discount. Y'all know I'm gonna take care of you, friends, right? Good. Now back to the show. Okay, so I have one last question about stock before we get into how to I how to purchase a stock and how to identify like what's a good one. What's a penny stock? A penny stock is a shady company. Um, <laughs> the, the actual definition, though, um, these are companies that usually trade at five dollars or below. So I said, you know, Amazon is this price, Target is two or three hundred dollars or whatever price it is. But penny stocks are really, really cheap. Sometimes they're just pennies. Other times they're five dollars and below. They can be very, very risky. Sometimes you you feel like you're getting at something on the ground floor and it's going to become the next Google. Sometimes that's the case. It is extremely rare, but sometimes that's the case. And then other times it, it absolutely blows up in your face and is a terrible investment. Um, I don't recommend them at, at any cost because again, they're really, really risky. And they used to be predatory in that if you're a new investor and you only got $100, you can't afford Amazon back in the day. Now you can. Back in the day, it's like, well, you can't afford the, the good companies. Why don't you come over here and like come with these cheap penny stocks? That's how people got tricked. If you ever watched Wolf of Wall Street, I was, that was about to what, say that was the that was the entire <laughs> movie was about pump and dump schemes. Where I get a stock at like a dollar, I tell people about it and just really pump it up to it's ten dollars, and then I sell, and you're left holding the bag. And that's that's what tends to happen. Examples of this in real life: AMC and GameStop were penny stocks in twenty at the end of twenty nineteen. Oh, at the end of twenty twenty. They were really, really cheap. Then you got people on Reddit that bought into it. They kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And by the time that most of us found out about GameStop and AMC, they were like two, three, four hundred dollars a share. It was ridiculous. And then what happened after that? It started crashing for the most part. Um, so that is that's how they tend to work. Sometimes they shoot up in value. Kodak, the actual the film company, yeah, they're, they're still alive. Um, they were really cheap at one point in time. Yeah, I, I completely forgot they existed. Um, but they were really cheap. And then within a week, it went up 12,000%. And then immediately crashed within like 14 days after that. Because it was really cheap. It was a penny stock. People bid it up. Everybody bought it. And then immediately crashed right after that. Um, so it's that's the nature of it. It's a very, very risky game. I don't think it's the best place for people to go. Especially when you got like other good companies at different price points that you can invest in no matter what your budget is. Well, that's so interesting, though, because even though you mentioned it being a potentially risky investment, companies like Kodak, GameStop, 
AMC, like those are pretty reputable companies and reputable names. Like you wouldn't associate some type of shady dealings with with their stock. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, it's really more shady dealings with the people who are who are pumping it up. Like that's that's the real question. Like I think AMC is a fine company. Um, I mean, movies are still here, right? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Right. <laughs> but so like, when's the last time you heard of Kodak? Like, like think about like, that. <laughs> so while I feel Kodak like if you're still, in like professional photography, they probably doing something. No, they okay. they they ain't buying no film. It's all di- it's still digital, right? <laughs> but they don't make cameras. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's the thing um i think they make most of their money on like chemicals and and printers but like anytime you hear a company like oh we're about to go bankrupt like how how is it up twelve thousand percent? like something ain't right and that it's that type of stuff that people have to be concerned about so amc might not fall in that category because you can walk into amc amc is still it might be limping but it is relevant right um it's still, it's still alive <laughs> yeah it's still alive like i yeah, like I went to the movies, it's still there. Um, <laughs> but that's not the same for, for every company. Y'all, if y'all remember Hertz in 2020, they were almost bankrupt. And they were one of those super, super cheap companies. People got in, bid up the price like crazy. And then Hertz is still alive, right? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but again, you got to be real careful, careful about stuff like that. Mm, well, that is actually it's, a great, go ahead. It's dirt cheap for a reason. Like that's, if it's almost bankrupt and it's really cheap, you got to wonder like, how did it get here? Right. Like, how, like, would you buy stock in Blockbuster? Hell no. Like, no, <laughs> nobody look, does that. Look, they, they were close to hanging on. It depends on when, because they even had a little button on the Roku remote. They was trying. They just couldn't get it together fast. Trying a decade <laughs> too late. <laughs> but, but you're right. They did try. They did try. But like, even when you saw that, we said, oh, let me go and, and like, buy stock in in mockbuster like mm, that might not end well and that's a lot of times what those penny stocks do and when we talk about penny stocks those are usually the ones that are not traded on the new york stock exchange they're not traded on the nasdaq they're on some bootleg exchange that you've never heard of which again is like mm, you're over there for a reason i might not want to you know put money into it Okay. 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 So that's actually a great segue to where we're going to kind of finish up our conversation, which is how do you identify a good stock to invest in? Like, how do you know what's good and what's bad? Yeah. So some of this is, is going to depend on what's going on in the market at that point in time, because there are certain seasons and things that go on that say, look, this is the right time to invest in this company. In other times, that's not the case. So a, a good example of this before I, I give those steps is Zoom. In 2020, Zoom was one of the best stocks out, out there. I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was up like 420 something percent, like ridiculous number. You know what Zoom is now? Terrible in 2021. And that's because, you know, we had gotten the vaccines and people were going outside a little bit, and we went outside a little too much. Conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, but now Zoom you is just is said you was like, at the movie theaters too. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, I, I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talking about Zoom right now. <laughs> <laughs> but in either case, Zoom was was down double digits. And you know, in 2020, yes, the answer was yes. Zoom was a great company. 2021, the answer is eh, probably not. Um, so it always depends on. What's a good investment depends on what's going on in the economy and the market. 
But how do I identify a good company? These are the, the steps that I use. They're very simple. And I think anybody can follow. So number okay, one. Let me write these down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so number one, the first thing that I look at is to understand how well the company has done in the recent past. You do not finish your research here, but you start here. So don't take step one and just go run off. All right. When you say finish recent, it. like how Mm-hmm. how much so time what, is re- yeah yeah so what i look at is i want to see how well you did in the last six months i want to see how well you did within the last year if those are good to solid returns meaning 10 percent or more then i'm like i'd say okay this is good enough for me to move to step two it is not oh you're up 400 let me just go invest in it like no okay it just means you move on to step two so that's step one because what i'm not going to do is invest in something that's down 40 percent I'm not going to invest in something that I can clearly see this line is red. Things are not going in the right direction. It requires no math to look at that graph, right? Well, so, it, but don't you want to buy when it's low? Like, isn't that the time to buy? It really depends on what low is, right? So I thought Amazon was low at $2,000 a share and now it's 3000 right? Like, or I thought it was high rather. I thought it was high at, at 2000 and now it's three. So low is always going to be relative. Like the stock market is today, I can say the stock market is low five years ago, but five years ago, I thought it was at the top, right? I could also say again in 2021, because we've hit 70 all-time highs throughout the year, you know, it was low in January, but people thought it was at the top. It was low in March, but people thought it was the top. So, you know, the buy low, sell high thing, it sounds good on paper, but it's really hard to figure out what low is because we know in the future, the market usually surpasses itself. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I, I step one. A judgmental like I would like the glasses came down. Well, no, but, because mm. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to, right. So in, internally, I have these ideologies. I feel like mm-hmm. that I've learned over time about what makes a good investment and what I've learned about partially what makes a good investment is not buying something when it's at a high. And so, you know, even if it's a relatively healthy company, I don't know that I really want to buy it. You know what I mean? Like when it's at its highest, well, yeah. because how much money am I going to make from that? Right. But again, we don't know if it's ever hit the highest. So like, when people thought when the people thought the market was high in 2021, it hit a new high 69 different times throughout the year. So at any point, if you were investing in 2021, you thought, oh my God, it's the highest ever. And then you hit another all-time high. Oh, it's the highest ever. And then it hit another all-time high. And it kept doing that throughout the year. And the the way that I I view this is, and I think we said this on the on the first one, like 10 years from now, you're gonna wish you started 10 years ago. Well, today is low compared to what it, what we think it will be in five years. Today is low and what we think is going to be in the next like five to 10 years. Because what I'm doing in 2022 is I'm trying to say, what do I want to be in now that I know or, or have confidence is going to be higher in 2025? Like that's that's the process. Almost anything that you invest in now, you would think like, even though it's an all-time high for today, that's going to be a low, right? Five years from now. Um, take, you know, my, my son who just walked in here, right? Like his highest weight ever is whatever he weighs today. Weigh him in five years. See how tall he's going to be in five years is going to be a completely different story, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's kind of how you want to view the market in some cases. Well, for me, I'm hoping I'm, I'm down in five years. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, but for him, right? Like yeah. you're like, oh, he's, 
you know, this is the highest, this tallest he's ever been. I'm like, yeah, but he's three. Catch him at five. Catch him at 15. I like, I thought he was at least five by now. Girl, no. no. <laughs> 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 oh, dang. Bless your heart. <laughs> I was trying to cut that, that window of time down for you, but now you still got 15 years left. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Well, I feel like the other reason why I was kind of side-eyeing you and looking at you crazy is because the <laughs> because I felt personally attacked because my personal strategy. So I've been investing, maybe not well, <laughs> based on the rationale that you described, because I'm thinking like, oh, like I'm buying low. I'm doing good. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're not necessarily wrong, though, right? Okay. Like the the thing is, we really have to see like a year from now. You probably did buy low. The thing is, today we just don't know that. Like, we I cannot 100% say that the price that you got it at or the price I got it at was exactly low, right? And the thing is, too, the market hits an all time high on average every 21 days, anyway. So today might be an all-time high. Three weeks from now, it's going to be a new one. So technically, you still invested low. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So step one, check to see the past six months to 12 months and to see if it's been going up. And then once you've kind of determined that it's healthy, we'll say, then you go to the next step, which is step two. So what's step two? Yep. Step two, this is where you want to dig in and start researching about the company. You want to know how they make money, how much money have they been making, and whether that that money is is growing. Is this company expanding? What I do is I'll go to CNBC and I'll type in the company and read five to 10 articles, whatever I can get my hands on to really understand better about this particular company. If you want to get real deep information, you can also go to the company's website. Every company that is public will have an investor's relation tab somewhere hidden on the website. I say hidden because use like the very, very bottom. If you click there, they'll tell you all the tea about the company. They'll tell you the good stuff, the bad stuff, what they're expected to do and how well the company did. Now those reports can be kind of long. Okay. So I'm, I'm warning you now. So this is, this is deep info. Once you hit that investor relation section, however, they have the annual report and they have a quarterly report that is there for investors. You can go through, read that to your heart's desire to understand how well the company is doing. And that will give you an even better idea of whether or not that company is solid. Mm. Okay. What's step three? <laughs> <laughs> step, step three before I, before I critique that, that tone, because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if it was a good or good or bad. <laughs> I'm processing. I'm processing. Okay. And we can can sum it up here in a sec. Um, So after you've done that, okay, so you saw it, okay, it's done well recently. You go and read and say, okay, there's a reason for this to, this is why they've done well. The next question is, and this is a question you have to ask yourself, after you've read, after you saw how well the company has done is, what is the case? What is the reason for this company to do well in the future? Now, that's a question that you have to answer. It's actually the easiest one, but it's you've read, you saw the charts. Why is this company supposed to continue to go up? And if you can answer that question, then that's probably a good investment for you. If you can't answer that question, then you might want to stay away or you might want to go back to step two and go back to step one to figure out why the company is supposed to succeed. The problem that I see a lot of new investors run into is they just jump into it and they have no earthly clue about the future. 
uh, or what's supposed to happen in the future. So for example, I had talked a lot early 2021, like March, April, about the infrastructure bill. I said, well, things like Caterpillar and John Deere and all this kind of stuff, these are companies to look into. I looked at the last six months, looked at the last year, things were fine. I read reports about the company, things were fine. And then the reason why it was supposed to continue to go is because if they pass this bill, it's, it's going to be good, right? Like they have to buy this equipment to make the roads and all that kind of stuff. Well, the bill didn't pass until what, like October or something? Some At some point in the fall, months and months and months later, and those stocks did rise. But because I bought low at that point in time, right? I also did the research and said, okay, this is what's supposed to happen in the near future. Then that's what made it a good investment for me at that point in time. So if I'm doing my research and I'm mm -hmm. looking at a company and I've never read a financial statement before or a financial report, I don't know much about the industry. I don't know what's good, bad, or ugly. What should I be looking for as I'm coming through these reports um, to determine, A, if they're healthy now? And I know you said, like, why will they be successful in the future? But if I, if I can't look at the financials now and know if it's doing good now, how am I supposed to know why it's going to do better? And if you, like, you're asking a lot of me, Kevin. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. So you actually, and I know some, some financial people are going to hate me for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you don't have to be an expert at reading the actual financial statements. That's a lot. I did that in grad school. You don't need to do that. However, like when you go to CNBC, which is why I chose them as opposed to any other website, they actually have really simple articles. And the articles by itself, if you read enough of those, you'll be fine. The article will say, hey, look, this is what happened today with, let's say, Peloton. This is why we think it's good. And end of story, right? And once you start to read conflicting opinions and you start to get enough information there, that's actually good enough to make a decision. You don't have to go and read the whole 80 page report. I don't read the whole thing either. I don't read all 80 pages. <laughs> I got certain sections I go to, right? But you don't have to read from cover to cover and like sit here with a magnifying glass and Excel open to, to figure out a yes or no answer. It's not that, it is, does not have to be that deep. Okay. Okay. And so if we don't want to get that deep at all, or even kitty pool deep. Uh... Yeah, you don't have <laughs> but like, let's, let's take for for example, right? I was going to ask, do you simplify it or do you provide any resources where we could just, cause I'm not even going to lie to the people. I just be following Kevin or public and I watch his watch list. And I'm like, oh, what's Kevin watching? I'm going to buy that. <laughs> well, yeah, like, like I'm, as, as we're doing this, I'm going to show you how, how quick and easy this can actually be. Right. Okay. So okay. Okay. Sure. A, a company that I suspect is not doing well is Peloton. So what I'm gonna do right now is type in P T O N into my investing app, or you can go to CNBC. Okay? What's your investing app? So my investing app, the one I like the most, is Public. Um, I, you have a link that you can share <laughs> since you have um, <laughs> since you're you're now on the app and you're invest you're an investor now there as well. Yes. Okay. So as I'm pulling this up, you can just on Yahoo Finance, CNBC, like. I encourage you to be interactive as we're doing this. All right, so I'm looking at Peloton. I look at the last six months. That's the first thing I'm gonna do. Peloton is down 70% in six months. That's not good. Okay, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you see how you see how quick. So I could I could stop here and say, ain't no way I'm investing in something that's down 70%. Because if I invest that, it's probably gonna go down some more. But let's just continue anyway. 
So okay. if I go to one year, it's down 75%. So clearly something is not right with Peloton. But let's let's just keep going to step two. I've already looked. It ain't good. But I'm going to go down. So on okay. public and most other apps, you can actually scroll and they'll give you like the latest news. Okay. So if I go here, I can see that there is a lawsuit that is pending for, for Peloton. Mm. I can see... Uh, somebody says Palestine stock to buy, sell, or hold in 2022. Maybe that's something I want to read. Should I buy it? Should I sell it? Should I hold it? I'll scroll or scroll some more. Shareholders announce another lawsuit. So a lot of lawsuits for Peloton. And I can read these and say, okay, like it's it's probably not, it's probably a no for me, dog. Right? Like that's all it takes. <laughs> that's that's really that's really it. I'm sorry to these men at Peloton. That's what you say. I'm sorry to these men at Peloton. I mean, yeah, yeah. But like, this is, if the company was good, I do the exact same thing. It's up, you know, check the charts, it's up. I'll go down and read the news and say, okay, like this is pretty good. Why is it supposed to continue? So for Peloton, that last step, why is it supposed to continue? Well, I don't know what's going to happen with these lawsuits. So I'm probably not going to invest in this, right? Or I could also say, maybe this pandemic does, you know, really fade and people are going to go outside. Maybe they won't stay inside for Peloton anymore. And that's it. That's, well, that's I feel all like part of the reason why Peloton is probably struggling or will is because how many Pelotons does one need? You bought the Peloton and, you know, it's good. Yes. Like, like and, it's not like toilet paper where you need it every week. Right. And that's that's <laughs> a very good question. So and this is where, like, if you want to get into the weeds, you can, but this is optional. So if I go to Peloton.com, I'll go down to Invest Relations, they'll actually break out and say, here's how much we make in Peloton bikes. Here's how much we make on those subscriptions. And that's another way that they're supposed to, like, really generate their money, too. So you buy a Peloton bike, but you're paying, I don't know what it is, $10 a month for forever, right, for every bike that we get. And that's our recurring revenue, even though you're not buying a new Peloton every single day. Um, but the, again... I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to go that far to see that I'm not going to invest in Peloton. I, we, we went through it together. It ain't, the, it ain't the spot for me today. Now, five years from now, we'll see, right? We, I can come back and look at this in six months and maybe things will change. But right now, that's a no. And we found it out within, what, 90 seconds or so. Okay. I mean, I think Peloton's going to be a no for me, dog, five years from now, too. But hey, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> They might come out with some new technology, but if they're just selling the same old bikes five, five years from now, it's only so many. How much are the bikes? They're like ridiculous. How many ten thousand dollars bikes you need? Yeah, they're like they're pretty expensive. They ain't they're not cheap at all. Yeah, no. And I know that a lot of the gyms now are carrying Pelotons. And so people are going to the gym mm -hmm. and getting their rides on there. So mm. sorry to them people. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is you saw how quick and easy like that can yeah. work um again you don't have to like oh, i'm gonna go read these statements like i didn't even know that i just i looked, took those three steps like nah this, this is not gonna work and then if the company is good then i'll read more and then make a decision but usually that's that's enough to choose a very solid company if you're looking at some of those penny stocks you go you go the exact same process i went through like ooh, this some something's not right here right and you'll find it out pretty quickly Okay. Okay. Well, this has been so educational and informational. I feel like we could literally have a whole nother hour. So that just means we'll have to have you back again. 
Don't worry for me. <laughs> so before we get into our sugar-free quickies, I need for you to tell us when we need to seek professional help for investing. And if we've decided that you're our best friend in our heads, how can we work with you? And what do you offer? Yeah. So if you're looking, if, so the first question, right? When should you seek professional help? That's going to depend on, on your own schedule and what you, you know, how, how you're feeling. If you're somebody that wants to be hands off and say, look, I don't want to deal with none of this. I want to make sure that somebody else is taking care of it for me. Then that is one of those, those points that you could do that. Most people, depending on who you ask, once you get about $100,000 in investments, some people like to say that that is a point that you want to bring in a professional. It is not required. But when things get more complicated, maybe you own a home, maybe you have children, these are questions that you might want to have a professional to help work through because it's hard to figure out all of those financial pieces. So that's that's the professional part. If you're looking to work with me, um, then you definitely want to check out my website and my courses. What I do, what I specialize in is really making investing simple and giving you that step-by-step process so that you can be more informed and more confident. And I think that's the thing we had talked about earlier, what's stopping people from investing. Sometimes like, ah, I don't really know, you know if I should do it. And then you, you stay in that state for like two years. And then you realize like, oh, look, the market's up 80%. And I just missed out on it. Right. So I want to make sure that, you know, people who work with me and go through my courses, they have simple, actionable steps and they're able to really grow their money reliably and safely over time. Okay, that's what I need, because the stock market is actually also really addictive. So I know every every month it was my goal to invest in the stock market. And my mom's like, you put more money in. And I'm like, well, Kevin said we had to do it every month. Now, I'm not going to tell the people how much I put in, you know, it's sugar free. But I was putting a lot in because I felt like I was behind. And it's just like, okay, like I'm going to keep putting the money in which is so contrary to what my feelings were about it before I was investing. I was so gun shy. And now I feel like I'm the complete opposite. And after this conversation, I feel like maybe I should pull back a little bit because clearly I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Look, it, you, you know better. You probably know better than what you think, right? Like there are people who, who will blindly say, look, I'm just going to invest in, in Apple. Well, Apple was up 35% this year. Like that wasn't bad, <laughs> right? So it, yeah. it really depends. And, and that's the thing, like you don't, have to be an expert to to do well. Now it might help you to be safe, right? <laughs> but you don't have to be an expert to to do well. Like start wherever you are, right? You don't, you know, there is no when you sign into the app, it doesn't say please insert your degree here. Like, no, it's <laughs> the stock market is really for everybody, which makes it well, I got really some fun. degrees. So if they need me to insert a degree, I don't know if I it's relevant, but <laughs> right. <laughs> I can show them some degrees now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as always, it's always so much fun having you here. You're welcome at the tea party anytime. But before we let you go, you have to do our sugar free quickies. So you already know the sugar free quickies are a series of either or questions that you have to answer one or the other. You can't do both. You can't choose option C. There is no option C. One or two. Okay. (laughs) You ready? All right. Let's go. Okay, so for a casual night out, you rock in Jays or Chelsea boots? Chelsea boots. Okay, okay, you get old. I am. (laughs) 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 But we gonna let you live. We gonna let you live. I've never owned a pair of Jays. I I felt I was. 
I, I told you I wasn't fashionable. Like, I've not ever had one in my life. Oh, so I'm adding Jay's and Perrier to my <laughs> list of gifts for Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> what about Nikes? You ain't had no Air Forces? Like, I, I've had Nikes. I have not had official forces. I've had the bootleg Converse that look like forces in seventh grade. <laughs> but Kevin! I never had the <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Look, I I just be wearing what I felt like matched that day, and that's it. I got some Chelsea boots though, so I'm moving up in the world. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Let me. I'm writing to your wife. I'm writing her note right now. <laughs> we starting a GoFundMe for Kevin's Jays, but you did have some Timberlands. I remember you saying when you lived in New York, yeah. you were very proud of your Timberlands. So that kind of counts as urban, you know, streetwear. Yeah, yeah. Like as the older I've gotten, I've gotten better. But like as a child, I was I was raggedy. Um, I just was. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So long-term stocks or short-term stocks, what are you investing in? Long-term. Why? It's, it's easier. It's, it's just way easier. Um, short-term is you can, it's more psychological. Uh, you get down on yourself a lot more and it's just really hard to time. Uh, we have a lot of statistics that will tell you that people who are active managers almost always fail, like to the tune of like 90 plus percent fail to beat the market when they're like actively out there doing short-term trades. Um, so when you really do the math and you like end the year, pull all your statements together and see how much money you made, you probably didn't make as much as you thought you did. Mm. Good to know. Okay. This is one that I know you're going to get a kick out of. What you choosing? Dinner with Jay-Z or 850 credit score? <laughs> what is, they, they both not worth that much to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. If you oh. see Kevin's face right now, it's the disgust. <laughs> the disgust. So most people make this question worse and, and say like an obvious amount of cash or one of the others. You made two like meh decisions. So I'm going to talk to Jay-Z because I can get a credit score. I can get a higher credit score for free. Like I'm already at 800. That extra 50 points is not going to make that much of a difference anyway. I No matter what I do or how high my credit score is, I'm going to never run into Jay-Z for free. Um, right. and, and that's the thing. But also like people have this weird obsession with the 850 credit score as if you've got this credit score and you can get like millions of dollars in loans to do whatever you think you would have done. You don't like they they won't look at your income like nah your loan is one dollar <laughs> yeah. I don't care what your credit score and is you got to pay it back <laughs> right right you, you still got to pay it back like, it's it's not free money you gonna take out a loan you know start this this mythical business or whatever you thought you could do and then be like damn these payments is high and like and then Listen, what <laughs> but a couple more questions before I let you go what's the better investment strategy tech or energy ooh depends on the year um because i'm projecting to the future i'm gonna say tech but in 2021 it was actually energy by a mile mm, good to know write that down folks write it down all right that's it that's all we have for sugar-free quickies like always it's always such a pleasure having you here representing for our hamptonians and so remind us one more time once again where we can find you before we let you go 
Yeah, you can find me all things social media and on the internet at Building Bread yes. and at buildingbread.com. Yes. And those are great places to find out what Kevin's investing in. Because like I said, that's my investment strategy. What's Kevin investing in? I get his little newsletters via email. What am I supposed to be doing? And that's just what I do because my level of investigation, like I said, is as shallow as the kiddie pool and that's as deep as I want to go. And so <laughs> if you have any more questions, just make sure you follow Kevin, make sure you check out his website, enroll in a course, or just follow him on social media and follow us too. And make sure that as always, you tune back in here for another amazing episode, some more great conversation. And of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends, and be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea. That's 100% sugar free. Meet small business owner Mackenzie Nicole. Mackenzie's business is growing and she needs forms and templates to legally protect her business from clients, partners, and employees. But she's low on cash and needs to find forms and templates that are legally binding and comprehensive, yet affordable. Not knowing where to find such forms and templates, Mackenzie was stressed until she found Formally Forms, the one-stop DIY legal shop for small business owners, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. All Formally Forms are affordable, easy to use, and expertly drafted by a licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So what are you waiting for? Be like Mackenzie and get your Formally Form or template today.